Luxicult is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Thrill with lissom lust of the light. Oh man, my man. Come careering out of the night of Pan. Io Pan. Io Pan. Io Pan. Come over the sea from Sicily and Arcady. Roaming as Bacchus with fawns and pards and nymphs and satyrs for thy guards on a milk white ass. Come over the sea to me. To me. Come with Apollo in bridal dress, shepherdess and pythoness. Come with Artemis, silken shod, and wash thy white thigh, beautiful god. In the moon, of the woods, on the marble mount, the dimpled dawn of the amber fount. Dip the purple of passionate prayer in the crimson shrine, the scarlet snare, the soul that startles in the eyes of blue to watch thy wantonness weeping through the tangled grove, the gnarled bowl of the living tree that is spirit and soul. And body and brain come over the sea. Io Pan, Io Pan, devil or god, to me, to me, my man, my man, come with trumpets sounding shrill over the hill, come with drums low muttering from the spring, come with flute and come with pipe, am I not ripe? I who wait and writhe and wrestle with air that hath no boughs to nestle, my body empty of weary clasp, strong as a lion, sharp as an ass. Come, oh come, I am numb with the lonely lust of deviledom. Thrust the sword through the galling fetter, all devourer, all begetter. Give me the sign of the open eye, and the token erect of thorny thigh, and the word of madness and mystery. O Pan, I O Pan, I O Pan, I O Pan, Pan, Pan. I am a man, do as thou will, as a great god can. O Pan, I O Pan, I O Pan, I O Pan, Pan. I am awake in the grip of a snake. The eagle slashes with beak and claw. The gods withdraw. The great beasts come. I O Pan, I am born to death on the horn of the unicorn. I am Pan, I O Pan, I O Pan, Pan, Pan. I am thy mate, I am thy man, god of the flock. I am gold, I am god, flesh to thy bone, flower to thy rod. With hooves of steel I race on the rocks, through solstice stubborn to equinox. And I rave and I rape and I rip and I rend, everlasting world without end. Mankin maiden, maiden man, in the might of Pan. I o Pan, 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 I o Pan. <laughs> that is I O Pan by Alistair Crowley. Hello and welcome to Lexicult. This is the podcast where we gleefully taunt the mundane, butcher the Latin and most other languages, and we also discuss a variety of occult topics. Exploring the intersections of magic, art, science, philosophy, technology, and so much more. It's cultism for everyone. I'm your host, Lex Estrada, and if you're hearing the sound of my voice right now, that means that this show and magic are for you if you want them. There are a lot of different ways to be more free, and using magic or making space for a spiritual practice in your life can be one of them. As always, I don't speak for anybody but myself. Others can, will, and should disagree with me sometimes. How would we ever learn anything if we all agreed all the time after all? And like people who attempt to be reasonable should be willing to do, I am willing and often do change my opinion based on new evidence. 
So I am very excited to be presenting this special episode to you all today. We're going to be talking about the goddess Babylon and the return of the Babylon Rising Panthelemic Festival in this, the year 2023. And there are all manner of treats for you in store. We're going to be hearing from critically acclaimed author, singer-songwriter, humorist, and more, Mr. Lon Milo Duquette, who was kind enough to share some of his memories from Babylon Rising festivals of the past, as well as to give a fantastic summation of how the Red Goddess is contextualized within Thelemic theology. I also spoke with Lorelai Black about her role organizing the Babylon Rising festival and what folks who are planning to attend this year can expect. There are some opportunities for you to get involved, which Lorelai and I talk about. We also discuss the love and war goddess and take a quick peek at how she's been thought of and portrayed in history, as well as some thoughts about interacting with her on a more personal level. Frater Yaramurd from Administrism and the Green Machine Discord server also joined me for a quick chat about what we have in the works for Camp Chaos, which is the chaos magic tract at Babylon Rising. Folks from the Green Mushroom Project, Administrism, and the Green Machine Discord server are hard at work planning, plotting, and scheming a variety of workshops, demos, magical experiences, and more. We're still in the early phases as of this time of recording, but things seem to be coalescing pretty quickly, so I'm looking forward to that and feeling really optimistic about it, so fuck yeah. So I'm very excited about all of this stuff. Before I go any further, I would like to say thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me and my very rad guests here on the show. I'm super lucky to have such amazing listeners, collaborators, cohorts, core conspirators, etc. You all are indeed the cat's pajamas. I've been using social media a lot more selectively lately uh, for mental health purposes and also because it's owned by evil companies and other reasons like that, but that certainly doesn't mean that I don't want to hear from you all. I always welcome people's thoughts, questions, suggestions, arcane revelations, and whatnot. You can reach me at luxoccultpod at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at luxoccultpod. And if you like the show and you're into what I'm doing here, you can support it on Patreon. And if you do so, you can take a bibliomancy break with me and there are no tiers or levels or anything like that, so give as you will. If you're not into the whole Patreon thing, you can also support the show for one-time thing on buymeacoffee.com. So thank you so much to the people who are already doing this. Your support makes the show possible and it really means a lot to me to be able to make it. So thank you so much. Appreciate it. So we're going to be taking a look at the goddess Babylon, the red goddess, from several different angles today, you know, getting multiple views of her, as it were, um, which I actually, now that I'm saying this out loud, feels like something she's probably into. So that's cool. The first person we're going to hear from to- in today's kind of tag team style episode is Lorelai Black. Lorelai is a hedge rider, a cunning woman, and traveler on the crooked path. She is a priestess of love and pleasure, an Ishtar woman, an Aphrodite woman. She is a friend to daemons and the mate to the red god. A bone collector, a temple dancer, Lorelai is also the author of dozens of books on Aphrodisian and witchcraft practice, a co-director and frequent presenter at the Babylon Rising Festival, a co-owner of Midian Events and also of Driftwood Tiny Retreats, and the proud proprietress of Asteria Books and Events and also of Blade and Broom. And you can find links to her stuff in the show notes. So as I mentioned before, we're going to be talking about Babylon Rising and Aphrodite and Ishtar and Inanna and the mystery of the naked goddess. Let's get into it here. Here's the first part of my conversation with Lorelai Black. My guest today is Lorelai Black. How are you today, Lorelai? 
I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk with me today. I've um, been following your work for a while and I've been wanting to talk with you a while. So I'm really excited that this is finally happening. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited to be here and to get to talk with you. It's going to be so much fun. Hell yeah. So for folks who are not aware of what you're out there getting into, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and like what you're into and up to and everything like that? Sure thing. So I have been in the witchy occult community since, I guess, 1996. (laughs) So quite a while I've been around doing one thing or the other. One thing I've always been doing is um, sort of witchcraft, folkloric, modern, traditional types of witchcraft. And I've also had a long-standing association, sometimes more at a distance, sometimes closer up with ceremonial magic and the OTO specifically. Some of my first interactions within the pagan community were with that particular fraternal order. So it was really interesting several years later when I got to be involved in Babylon Rising, which is not OTO related, but polemic and had a lot of the same people that I knew back in 1996, 1997, you know, and I re-met them all in like 2008 (laughs) running this amazing festival. (laughs) And I got involved with it. That's uh, one of the big things that I do is running Babylon, helping to run Babylon Rising, Panthelemic Festival. I also am quite involved with other pagan, occult, magical event planning. So I helped to run a couple of retreats. Um, I'm the co-host of the Water Priestess Confluence this year with Anwen Avalon. I have just volunteered to help with the Sisterhood of Avalon's uh, annual retreat. So, you know, event planning is a, a big part of it, in addition to things like writing about Aphrodite and magic and witchcraft and goetic spirits. Very cool. I love that. And I think there's something that kind of makes sense about event planning and doing work with Aphrodite. Like, so there's something sort of like about this harmony, like harmonizing these different elements into this like kind of uh, space. I, I think so. it feels very Venusian to me. So that's very cool. You know, you're not wrong about that. <laughs> Aphrodite, <laughs> Aphrodite, Venus, um, these these goddesses of love and war. Absolutely. But are absolutely figures that do a lot to bring people together. It's actually a really interesting conversation that we could have going on a, on a side quest about Aphrodite's role in the Agora, you know, in ancient Athens and the fact that, you know, she was worshipped there. She was called on before people started talking about politics of the day or started talking about civic decisions, like this idea that you need to get in touch with your love before <laughs> before we start having those conversations. And she was a goddess of magistrates there as well. Like they usually had altars and commemorations that they made to her in their role as city officials. So you're absolutely not wrong that she sort of um, is very much in these civic spaces. I love that. That's very cool. I mean, it it makes so much sense. There's something about just kind of diffusing tensions or just keeping it chill in the first place that feels very Venetian too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of wish that we were doing that these days. (laughs) I feel feel like our, our politics and our civic life would benefit greatly from going, okay, remember (laughs) that we are a people Mm -hmm. and that, and that we love each other (laughs) and these spaces that we're trying to operate in. I think it could really shift the dialogue. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of that that goes on, you know, as humans are all generally wanting the same stuff, but it's also so easy to get folks stirred up and get them 
mobilized against each other for silly i'm getting into the weeds here but (laughs) maybe let's let me try to bring us back on track here and ask you so we're here today to talk about the babylon rising festival so for folks who aren't familiar with that could you tell us a little bit about what all of that is and what that's like yeah i'll do my best because it's it can be hard to encapsulate in some ways um so babylon rising festival panthelemic festival has been happening since 2006. That was the first year of the event. It was created by four friends, one of whom I am married to now, um, and another one of whom I was married to. (laughs) So uh, a group of four friends, one was a bishop in the OTO, one was a first degree in the OTO, one was a, a tradcraft witch, and one was a chaos magician. And they came together and said, we should create an event. <laughs> we should do something together. We should we should bring people together. Um, and they, you know, sort of coalesced around this idea of what they called panthelemic concepts and magic. They wanted that thread of will, that sort of foundation of will to run as a thread throughout. And they wanted to talk about magic on a on a deep and serious level, but also be able to, you know, have a good time <laughs> and and be able to to really sort of put one's will into practice. And really, in a lot of ways, that's what the festival is about. We have a lot of workshops and rituals and lectures and just all kinds of magical experiences, some of which are are a little hard to define, that happen in a scheduled way at the festival. But we've also always really encouraged people to bring their magic to the event and to do off schedule rituals and invite, you know, folks that they just met that weekend to come and join them in in their magical practice and their magical experimentations. And you can walk through the camping area and just sort of land in one of a hundred amazing conversations about magic that are happening. You're just sort of awash in it. And it's this really heady space, but it's also a space where people are taking the magic seriously, but maybe not taking themselves too seriously. Like we come together to have a good time within this magical context and to explore what our wills are and how they manifest, um, how we are manifesting them around us. I came on board in like 2008. So it was the third year of the event. I came in as a presenter And then by 2009, I was helping to organize the sacred sexuality track, which we call the Scarlet Track. That was actually the first year that we broke into two separate programming tracks. And then I think by 2010 or 2011, we had the Chaos Track as well. So we've been, for years now, we've been running on a, in a three space, you know, three workshop space kind of format with just incredible presenters, both you know, big names that people know, like Lon Milo Duquette, Richard Kaczynski, Brandy Williams, and and so many more. And then also, you know, sort of grassroots authors like myself, Bill Duvendak, who are known, but, you know, don't have like a Lon Milo kind of <laughs> being known. And then also like just folks from our local area that are super excited about magic, have a lot to contribute, you know, aren't necessarily looking to publish or be, you know, along those lines, but just are are doing the work and want to do that work and play with others. So it's very exciting space. Very cool. So there's all kinds of stuff going on. It sounds like, honestly, it sounds like it's a really good value for the money, like all of these different activities for basically three days, it sounds like. Is that right? 
Yeah, so this year it's three days. It's September 9th through 11th, uh, which is a Friday through a Sunday. Normally it starts on Thursday, like in the past, it started on Thursday morning. And I mean, we start at 9 a.m. on the day that we're starting and we encourage folks to get there the day before so they can set up and sort of be ready to roll with the, the first classes. But I think it's a fantastic value. <laughs> you know, even if you're paying the the highest rate, um, it's still it's only $111 if you're, you know, sort of showing up at the gate and paying the money. Yeah, that's a great deal. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, very cool. And so folks, for, for right now, I mean, until the end of March, it's only $77. Is that correct? The tickets are discounted? So through the end of the March, it's only $77. Um, April 1st through May 30th. Um, it'll go up to sort of our standard registration price, which is $93. And then if we're able to open late registration this year, and that's really going to depend on the amount of pre-registration that we see online, then from June 1st through the festival, it'll be $111. Very cool. So the theme of the festival this year is the Empress or Dalith. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit because one of the things that's funny about that is that our empress has been pregnant with the possibility of this festival since <laughs> since, <laughs> since 2019. Three um, years is like the perfect sorry. time for her to be pregnant with it, too, I feel. I don't know. It's something very poetic about that. <laughs> it is very poetic. It is indeed very poetic. But she's ready to burst, I think. <laughs> we're, we're, we're ready to do this. And, you know, we kind of had a forced hiatus because of the pandemic for the first two years and then our hiatus was continued unexpectedly in 2022 because there were well honestly the pandemic sort of bit me and um the other co-director joe <laughs> very directly as we got COVID about three days before the event oh um, no that's but about <laughs> it was terrible it was awful <laughs> luckily we had already canceled for the year because there was a problem with some of the infrastructure at the venue, you know, stuff that sort of got brought up right at the tail end there of the pandemic and, and we had to deal with to be able to move forward. So um, we had at least two weeks notice to be able to let people know, hey, this isn't happening after all. So let's talk about how will the Empress play into the kind of the theme? Is there going to be like thematic things about the Empress or anything like that? Yeah, there will. <laughs> so often what we end up doing is, you know, we let we let folks know about the theme and then sometimes presenters sort of align their workshops, their rituals around some concept that's embedded within within that theme. You know, and sometimes they don't and it's just still amazing work that needs to be presented. So, <laughs> you know, we're not very rigid about that, but then our primary group ritual happens on Saturday night. We call it the Feast of the Beast, and it will definitely be centered around the theme of the Empress. Okay, very cool. So the Feast of the Beast has a, a ritual aspect, and then there's, in the past, there's always been a Feast of Food and what we call the Feast of Flesh, uh, which is very exciting and titillating. Here for it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we have kind of like spaces set up for each of those. And we tend to also, you know, there's thematic elements that get incorporated into those spaces, both in the food and in the direct decorations and all of that kind of thing. That sounds super fun. So the kind of environment that folks could expect when they come to this festival, it's primitive camping, correct? 
it is primitive camping, yeah, which is kind of a different space for for these conversations to happen. Usually they happen in sort of conference centers, you know, air conditioning and reliable lighting and <laughs> lots of access to electricity and Wi-Fi and, you know, plumbing, <laughs> <laughs> which we do have water in the space, but that was one of the infrastructure things that sort of happened Last year was that the shower system that we were using, our local county has decided that it is not up to their regulations, so we have to come up with alternative methods. We're trying to have something in place by BR this year, um, but we're just sort of preparing people for, you know, <laughs> it's a no shower weekend. <laughs> yeah, you might have to bring some of those giant wet wipes that they sell for after yes. you go to the gym or something. You know? Yeah, yeah, which is a lot of what they do. Like at Burning Man, you know, you're yeah. not you're not bringing in lots of water to try to bathe with. You're absolutely, you yeah. Know, you're taking care of yourself in other ways. Hell yeah, very cool. So how would you feel about taking a bibliomancy break? I would be very excited about that. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Greetings, it's me, Alexa from the future. Thank you for listening. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Stay tuned for that bibliomancy break and the rest of my chat with Lorelai Black, which we will be returning to in just a little while. Lorelai shared some thoughts about Babylon and the association with the love and war goddess, and I share an antidote about how I found myself in the situation which you all now find me in in this episode, with the privilege of speaking to these wonderful guests and letting you all know about this event that we're all so excited about. The bibliomancy reading, which you will hear later, is I think one of the best I've ever rocked, and I'm very excited to share it with you all. But now, it's time to tag in our second fantastic guest, a man who might need no introduction, but I will provide one nonetheless. Lon Milo Duquette is a singer-songwriter, recording artist, humorist, and author of 19 critically acclaimed books which have been translated into 12 languages on the topics of magic and the occult. Critics have called him one of the most respected and entertaining writers and speakers in the field of Western mystery traditions. He's also held or holds many important and impressive sounding titles in the OTO. Although he takes his work and the subjects he studies very seriously, he tries not to take himself too seriously. And this rare combination of scholarship and humor has earned him unique and respected position in American spiritual and esoteric literature. Thank you to Audible.com for allowing me to paraphrase that bio. So Lon shared some really cool and spectacular stories about hanging out at Babylon Rising festivals in the past and spoke about some of the kinds of experiences that you can have sometimes doing magic in group settings. So really cool stuff. Leading into this first part of my chat with Lon, I'd like to play the title track from his album, Sweet Babylon. This is Lon Milo Duquette. People keep saying that Jesus is Lord He'll take me in the rapture He'll come with a sword Preachers on TV tell me I'm living wrong But I've tasted the lips of sweet Babylon Sweet Babylon, oh heavenly harlot let down your hair and take me to bed Hold out your cup and I'll pour the wine 
drink to the night of sweet Babylon. Sacred love, abomination, but dying in your arms is sweeter than salvation. Heaven is the night of sweet Babylon. Sweet Babylon, oh heavenly harlot, lover of all, refuser of none. Out your cup and I'll pour the wine. Drink to the night of sweet Babylon. Heaven is the night of sweet Babylon. All right. Well, my guest today is Lon Milo Duquette. Lon, how are you? I'm fine as well as can be expected with uh, climate change emergencies going on all around me. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. I'm so excited to talk with you. Oh, thank you very much for thinking about me and and uh, giving me something to do this afternoon. <laughs> Well, my pleasure. So one of the reasons that I've asked you to come today was to talk a little bit about the festival Babylon Rising and about the goddess Babylon and some all of that good stuff. So if you wouldn't mind, could you share a few maybe memories if you have any? <laughs> I know sometimes uh, when I have a especially good time, it can sometimes be difficult to remember exactly how things happen. <laughs> but if you have any fun uh, memories about the festival, I would love to hear them. Well, well yes, it's been many, many years since uh, I've attended, but uh, I, I think I've attended uh, two or three festivals in a row. And uh, at the time, I'm not sure where they're they're being held now, but they were uh, held at a beautiful meadow uh, campground in uh, or near French Lick, Indiana. And it's a part of the country, you know, until till then I'd never visited before, but I've got quite a few friends and uh, I've spoken uh, over the years and done magical events and Gnostic masses and things like that in the Bloomington, in Indiana area and the Chicago area. And so, so, so I've got a lot of uh, friends and magical colleagues uh, from that area. And they've made the experience very nice. I usually fly into uh, Indiana or something and uh, they, they drive me down and... Uh, even though it's been many years, it might may have been the late 90s, even, I don't know for sure, but I was just uh, struck at the pleasantness of it and the, the, the time of year, not that it didn't rain on occasion, <laughs> but the, the time of year made it uh, just absolutely uh, paradisial, if I can use that word. I think you just did. I love it. <laughs> and... Uh, the weather was was uh, fun because it was weather. Now, I, I lived all my life in Southern California, and uh, up until the last uh, few years, uh, Southern California really just didn't have any weather. <laughs> it's, it was 
It was just always pleasant, but uh, no hot, humid, fragrant summers and, and no uh, thunderstorms and things like that. And uh, French Lake, Indiana had thunderstorms and it had the uh, hot, humid days where the, the humidity after the rainstorm there in that meadow, you could you could almost see the ripples in the air with the s- smell of grass and everything else. And uh, it was like, uh, we forget, especially those uh, people who are uh, in joy and who time their, their cycles of life with uh, the seasons, pagan community and, and such, uh, we, we lose track of, uh, of what it's like to, uh, to actually, you know, be in tune <laughs> with all that stuff. It's almost like, uh, oh, gee, nature, you know, and uh, the, the, the venue for, for this was just, just wonderful. Now, I have to confess, okay, that I'm a, and have always been a real wuss. I'm not a camper. Okay. Okay. Uh, so every year they were kind enough to book me a little motel room just down the down the road a piece where I could actually actually sleep. Uh, the the rest of the time I I just hung out with with everybody. So it was just absolutely wonderful, and I knew that I'd I'd want to come back. And and of course there was a. Uh, like a pavilion where you know I could do my uh, my lecture or my talk. I I think I was talking about the chicken Kabbalah one year for sure, and uh, it, it even allowed me to to have uh, slides and things like that. But I got to meet people that that I never met met before, and and uh, and old friends that I meet <laughs> every year at different conferences and and. Uh, festivals and events and things like that. So it's like old home week. But I remember one year uh, I, I got to meet Nima. And uh, as a matter of fact, I uh, Nima and I got good and stoned. <laughs> and uh, what a what a marvelous, charming, brilliant woman. And every year uh, I would also meet up with my good friend over the over many years, uh, Donald Michael Craig. And uh, I think the last time we went, uh, they booked a very nice hotel room that uh, Donald and I uh, shared together. Uh, but he came in later at night. I'm kind of a, I'm a wild and crazy guy, but I'm, I've been married for now for 55 years. So I turn in pretty early at these, <laughs> at these wild events and let the young people uh, uh what Lorelai and I were talking, Lorelai Black and I spoke about the festival recently, and we came up with the phrase, get weird in the woods. So maybe that's what you're looking for. <laughs> yes. I'm happy to, you know, get weird in the woods. Kind of in my, in my own way, you know. I would certainly not want people to think less of me, okay? Uh, so I, my talents are, you know, might be in other directions. But anyway, uh, so that that was uh, always a treat. So for me, it was uh, literally like the, the the best kind of class reunion that you could possibly fantasize. Only uh, you know, a few years in a row, and um, 
an event that had so many different brilliant people presenting and uh, you actually learned stuff there it just wasn't you know would you excuse me for a moment while i get rid of this telemarketer no worries we are not live <laughs> excuse me hello no i i'm sorry this is a crime scene <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh, that was delicious. Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, you know, it, it seems weird to say this, but but the entire journey every year uh, going to Babylon Rising was in itself a, an odyssey of Odyssean scale. It was it was like as you approach French Lick, Indiana. I had it took me a long time to sort of get over the name because it was such a weird name. <laughs> I didn't at first. I thought, is this you know some kind of uh, uh, French? Um, it sounds like a, a lewd sex act or something. <laughs> It was a, a marital uh, gymnastics of some. <laughs> but anyway, just as you approach French Lick, it was all, all almost, and it probably does have uh, all sorts of feng shui uh, uh, going for it, because it seems like you're entering a, a timeless membrane, and uh, uh, that sort of sanctifies the the, in, the entire environment, and I. You know, we could say that, well, I think the organizers of, the, of this event, you know, are your standard holy people setting up a, a sacred event. But that's exactly what, what it feels like mm-hmm. and what it felt like. I love that. Yeah, that's so cool. I know they're going to be holding it in Midden this year, which is pretty close. Um, and so, yeah, I love that idea of like, yeah, this like creating this sacred space, which this festival certainly sounds like it is. So that's so cool. And it had, you know, sort of the, the standard uh, uh, obligatory, you know, big fire circle uh, that you could see. I mean, a big one, you could see it from space. Hmm. And one year, I remember the... Um, clouds were rolling by and we were afraid that the fire circle might be rained rained out but there was a a low overcast a very dark low overcast of clouds and the fire circle which was attended by very very professional fire people no they're human beings they weren't fire people (laughs) but they were they were professional uh professional pyromaniacs or something (laughs) yes they made an art form of it, but the bonfire was so big and so well constructed and and the heat of it you know uh spread up from the very very center, so you could get around it okay, you could dance around it safely and get and get remarkably close to it but it raised it was about 16 stories high you know and it literally poked a hole in the clouds <laughs> that's so cool i love it it was so cool it looked it looked biblical it looked like a, a scene from the 10 commandments or or something like that the fire poked a hole in the clouds that is dope i love that and um 
uh, a lot of drumming and stuff like that, you know, uh, and uh, at my age and at my girth, I, I suppose I was close to 300 pounds at uh, at least at two of those uh, events. You know, I, I didn't do much dancing around because, uh, you know, thunderstorms are one thing, but earthquakes are another. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, my dancing is tapping my foot, you know, mostly. But one year, if I may, <laughs> if I may go off on this, uh, <laughs> one year, good friend of mine from uh, Chicago, Alan Salmi. I, is it okay to mention names because I don't think we're going to get him arrested or anything? As long as it's okay with your friend, it's okay with me. <laughs> Alan, I just uh, spoke to him today. He was one of the wildest dancers around the the bonfire, but he got together with the drummers and got a particular uh, rhythm going, and he recited Alistair Crowley's Him to Pan, Pan. (laughs) which is probably the most powerful, beautiful, evocative enchantment I've ever heard in the English language. And uh, it just blew everybody's mind. It was, uh, it did what um, back in the early 1900s, Crowley was trying to uh, accomplish with his seven rites of Eleusis or Eloisis that he performed. Uh, it, it was meant to uh, actually evoke and trigger an altered state of consciousness in the audience. Okay, it wasn't entertainment, but it was entertaining. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, it was a play, but the play didn't uh, didn't make sense. the uh, The play was literally uh, meant to to magically affect a change of consciousness in the people that witnessed this and were were a part of. And uh, Alan's hymn to Pan that night affected that. I, and I couldn't help but thinking, wow. If Crowley would have seen this, he would have signed this guy up, right? Right <laughs> <You> now, <laughs> you're going to do this every year. You know, I'm going to take you, I'm going to take you on the road because. Uh, and then after after that, there was uh, the invocation of Babylon, and I know we're going to talk about Babylon here in a Absolutely, second. Absolutely, yes. And uh, it was done by uh, one of the organizers uh, played Babylon. And uh, another uh, dear friend of all of ours uh, from Chicago uh, took the role of the beast. And uh, the whole thing with Babylon and the beast conjoined is the exact same thing, only under sort of a Western civilization guise. Same thing as Shiva and Shakti, okay, of the, the Hindus. Okay, it's no more... It's no more weird or, or evil or just because Babylon and the beast sound wild and crazy. It's the exact same thing as Shiva and Shakti. And if you're a Kabbalist, it's the exact same thing as uh, Hokma, number two on the tree of life, and Bina, number three on the tree of life. And they join together and become number one on the tree of life. That's all that is. But one of the organizers, one of the women organizers, played Babylon. Another friend from Chicago played uh, played the Beast, and uh, another f- friend from Chicago who was uh, fabulous. I mean, su- supremely fabulous uh, 
a tattoo art artist and um, piercer. I don't know if there's a technical, a piercerer. <laughs> I think that's right. I think piercer is right. They devised a little ritual after this hymn to Pan, and it was done around the bonfire with the drumming and everything else. And uh, the the gentleman that played the had already a very, very uh, large unicursal hexagram tattooed to his back. And it was impressive in and of itself. We were all very impressed at this, this, this huge covered his entire, entire back. And during the ceremony, one link at a time, the piercer pierced every point of the seven points of that tattoo with a ring, like a silver ring. And every time, and we watched it happen, and every time it happened, we all went, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez, no. <laughs> but, but, well, the, the people uh, that do that, you know, under, understand the, the variety of ecstasy that's involved. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, there's a whole class of ritual that is kind of like body stress rituals. I attended event last an event last year called uh, Ritual Steel, in which they were doing like suspensions and stuff like piercings and then suspending yeah. you from the hooks. And so yeah, it's, but it was all done in like a ritual context. So yeah, it's really, it, there's a lot there. It's a, it's a great and nuanced topic for sure. Yes. And, and every time, and then they dance around for a while and then they do another, you know, another point and another link. And all of us that, that at least initially were being freaked out, we're going, no, this is, this is incredible, great art. This is, this is magic. And by the time he had all seven of them done, everyone around that huge bonfire poking a hole in the clouds everyone was as high as a kite in a weird way that they've never been that high before and then the woman playing babylon linked up straps to each of those seven points those seven rings and she literally mounted on his back and he rode her around okay like babylon controlling the beast like babylon and the beast conjoined and the the image of it was just absent i mean it may sound gross okay it, it sounds sound pretty cool and metal to me but i mean that's me <laughs> it was incredible and i'm just an old fart you know i'm not uh, that's and it was just absolutely one of the most impressive uh, group magical celebrations that I've ever I've ever witnessed. And um, the idea of what that the energy, the classic cliche spiritual energy that is uh, the idea of Babylon and the Beast conjoined represents actually took hold on every everybody there everybody there for a moment actually got the shiva shakti uh, experience the babylon the beast experience the hokma bina experience and it was it was absolutely magnificent man that sounds incredibly powerful and incredibly beautiful that's so cool yep <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
what's up? It's me again, Luxa from the future. Gods, Babylon Rising sounds so amazing. I'm so stoked to see what this year is going to be like. We're going to be returning to my conversation with Lon Milo Duquette in just a bit here. Excited to share the rest of that with you. We talked about how Babylon is conceptualized in Thelemic theology and some of the tie-ins that we see with some other symbol sets. And Lon makes some really interesting points and also gives some really good advice. So stoked to share that all with you. But now a reminder, the deadline for submissions to fuck around and find out too, the Green Mushroom Project and We the Hollow digital mixtape is approaching fast, the 23rd of May. 523 will be here before we know it. So get those magical audio tracks of music, ritual, spoken word, and more sent out to us ASAP. Get those to us at greenmushroommixtape at gmail.com. And for submission guidelines, check out the show notes, my link tree, greenmushroomproject.com, or wethehollowed.org. Speaking of We the Hollowed, I am stoked to be participating in another Haunt Quinox live stream this year on the Equinox. Keats Ross and the other massively talented folks over at We the Hollowed and I will be presenting video offerings of our work as well as chatting about our various endeavors. Last year, we ended up streaming for like five hours, which was pretty intense. I'm not sure if it's going to be that wild this year, but definitely check it out if you want to see what we've been up to and see us doing the whole talking head thing. It's kind of fun. So that will be live on the 20th of March on the Prag Magic YouTube channel. Hot on. All right. We've now reached what is ostensibly the centerfold of this very tasty podcast spread. And I wonder how my next guest will feel about that phrasing that I chose. <laughs> Fred Oyarmoret is one of the hosts of the Administrism podcast and is one of the creators of Administrism Magical Paradigm. You can hear a conversation that he and I had about language and magic all the way back in the early days of making this show, which is episode six, Words Have Power. And he's been a guest in various other ones since. Yara was a huge help in getting things together with the Green Mushroom Project in its early days, and is somebody who you can tell is just really dedicated to magic and sharing that passion with others, which I really respect. What you'll hear next is a short but fun conversation about what we have in mind for Camp Chaos at Babylon Rising, with the obligatory derailments as we wax poetic about a magical praxis and whatnot. Enjoy! Here is my chat with Fred Yarbrough. All right, well, fuck yeah. My guest today is Yara. Yara, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me this afternoon. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to be here. Fuck yeah. So for folks that don't know, Yara and I run the Green Machine Discord server, along with a fucking crack team of fantastic mods and admins and shit. We've got a really amazing crew. But So yeah, there's all kinds of stuff going on there. But Yara, I know you've got a lot of other projects that you're working on. Why don't you go ahead and tell me like a little bit about what you've been up to recently? Yeah, so myself and Pythia now have been working on the Administrism podcast, which is kind of a, um, it is a chaos magic themed or approach to neo-shamanism. I've also been putting out more instructional videos and things like that, just kind of like basic introductions to magical techniques along with like crafting things so that you can make these things at home on various social media sites. So I know I'm on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. All you have to do is search for my name, Yara Marud, and you'll probably find me. I've 
I've tried to like pin down every single instance of that name across social media. So I think I've gotten close. Solid branding. All right. Hell yeah. <laughs> You've also been working on some recursive consciousness experiments that I've been a participant in. That's been pretty interesting. Yeah, that's part of the administrism thing. It's it's kind of a branch off of, you know, we're trying to evolve magic and push the boundaries of what we can do. And right now we're working on recursive consciousness and treating consciousness as though it's a waveform. And if it is a waveform, then we're going to see if we can amplify it via recursion, like a lot of like sound waves and things like that. So I'm running experiments on how to kind of get that going and it's been a lot of fun honestly yeah very cool i love the concept of recursion and feedback loops and everything it's definitely a classic you know kind of thing i think for us like coming from people who maybe were inspired by like temples like youth or stuff like that but like yeah so i think there's a lot there and it also reminds me of like you know douglas hofstetter i am a strange loop kind of shit and yeah, it's interesting to think about now, too, you know, even if it's not the case that we might be able to push the bounds of magic, we might be able to measure it in such we might be able to push the bounds of the way that we understand it through measurement because of the technological availabilities of communication or whatever. So, yeah, there's just all kinds of like really fascinating opportunities with this shit right now. So, yeah, it's so cool. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm trying to amplify it via recursion through like audio waves and things like that and like looping consciousness on itself and kind of tapping into the the very primitive like reptile brain in order to do so. And so far we've seen some results. Um, but the as you said, the thing that I, I very much like about how we're approaching it this time is it works or what we're trying to do is work in incremental states. So we're able to test the limits of what we're doing and how much we have an effect on it or how little we have an effect on it or how much we have an adverse effect on it and do so using numbers and plotting graphs and shit like that. Yeah. And something that I've really appreciated is just the opportunity to have conversations surrounding experimental design in terms of magic. So yeah, it's just really kind of all kinds of fun, like crossover stuff happening here. It's really Exciting. So, but that's not exactly what we're here to talk about. Um, we're here to talk about another exciting thing, which is on the horizon, and that is the Babylon Rising Panthelemic Festival. So I know you've been involved with this for a while now. Is that right? Yes, I've been to about four or five events now. I know the first one I went to was back in 2012, and that was before it's at the current place it's at now. It used to be in around French Lick, Indiana, at a place called Our Haven. But it's since moved to Springville, Indiana, in a place called Midian. And I've been more to the times in Midian, and I absolutely love it. It's, it's a fucking blast. It is one of the most memorable and enjoyable experiences of my life. There are all sorts of things that happen. If you're at all inclined to magic whatsoever, I, I highly suggest going, because there are multiple different tracks or places that you can go in order to absorb all of these different ideas in regards to magic. And it's just an entire festival, an entire weekend of just magic. And so you're, you're constantly in this weird liminal mental state. Yeah, very cool. And I mean, just with how long it's been since there's been an opportunity to have gatherings like this, I'm guessing that a lot of people are probably just looking forward to get the opportunity to get out there and do some work in person with people. And I think this would be a great, good opportunity to do that. So yeah, really looking forward to it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like it's been put off for the last three years due to the pandemic, and it's really, really good. the The minute I got the news that it's actually like they're making sure that it happens this year, I was absolutely elated, and I am so happy that I'm going to be able to be there for this. Yeah, absolutely. And so not only are you going to be there, but you and I and some other folks from the server are planning to put some stuff together. This is still early in the planning stages, but we are scheming and plotting and drawing designs or whatever. Right. So yeah, do you have any ideas about what you might be um, hoping to bring to the festival? Yeah. So um, as one of the chaos organizers or the organizers of Chaos Track, I'll be there to help try and organize chaos as um, nonsensical as that seems. <laughs> um, yeah, so what I'll be doing is I'll be not only kind of presenting some things myself and different ideas, but I'm going to help bring other people and organize, like kind of set the schedule of where they're doing things. And I know myself, I have quite a few different paradigms that I'm going to talk about and different ideas that I'm going to talk about because it as I've said it's been about three or four years since I've been to the last one and so I've evolved a lot as a magician and I have a lot to bring to the table and a lot that I want to experience and share with other people and so I'm wanting to work with the other people of the Green Mushroom Project too and kind of bring together what we've all been working on for the past few years. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I'm really excited about is just another chance to, you know, share about chaos magic. I think that, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions out there. And I mean, for me, looking at some of the concepts that you find in chaos magic or a chaos magic framework, I think really could bring depth and richness to any postmodern practitioner, you know, and I think that, yeah, just kind of allowing that to be understood, I think, is something that I'm really excited about and, you know, kind of hoping, and I know we've this is something that we've discussed before, you know, like hoping to present Chaos Magic maybe in a way that reflects where we are um, in our stages of life or whatever. Right, like, right, right. People have said Chaos Magic all grown up, but I don't know if I necessarily like that phrasing. But no, whatever, it's, yeah. It's, it's not so much like all grown up, it's, it's that it's evolved. So when a lot of people who outside of chaos magic hear the word chaos magic, that phrase carries a lot of baggage. And so like it can carry, you know, ideas of no, everything is chaotic and nothing makes sense. And we just pull shit out of our ass and it's magic and we don't take anything seriously. Well, that's yes, we can do that. But also a lot of us have very, very dedicated practices. It's just we're able to switch through things depending upon what the situation is. I think that it's often the case with a lot of practices that what might look ridiculous from the outside might also have like a pretty serious and solid philosophical framework behind it that, you know, might make it make sense from the inside. I mean, but obviously there's there's sloppy practitioners from any, any type of magic. And I'm not saying that, you know, that's not the case, of course. But um... Oh, absolutely. But I think other, other aspects of baggage that the term chaos magic brings is it kind of had its heyday in the 90s. And so a lot of people hear chaos magic and they think that we're stuck back 30 years ago trying to, you know hack reality in fucking shit which i mean yeah but it's no different than any other practice it's it's either that we're stuck in the fucking angelina jolie movie with hackers or 
we're just sitting in our rooms in the dark jerking off on paper. Well, I mean, I honestly don't hate either of those things. But <laughs> right. I'm not, I'm not saying you should completely trash them. I'm totally, I told, I'm totally joking. I hear what you're saying for sure. And right, I think right. that that's definitely one of the, the misconceptions. And I think that it's also, there's something about that that's also a little bit rich to me to be like, oh, you're stuck in the past. Well, I mean, like, what the fuck is occultism? It's like this ancient technology, you know, like, come on. Right, <laughs> like, right, right. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> no, absolutely. And so one of the, one of the things that I'm trying to do as one of the organizers for the chaos track is you know, present to the public the fact that, yes, chaos magic does have serious aspects to it. There are some of us who, you know, don't take our practice flippantly at all. And we can actually, you know, buckle down in our own paradigm. Like myself, I've I've been working with administrism for the last two, three years now. And before that, I was I was working solely in another paradigm, and that's all I did. However, that's not to say that, like, when I got with other people and did group magic or whatever, like, that I, you know, refused to work with them because my patron deity said, fuck you and your shit's garbage. Like... I'm, I'm still able to shift within that mindset. It's just my own personal practice was very dedicated, is very dedicated, and it involves a lot of work. And that's something that I think the term chaos magic is ready to be shed of. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is a, one of the other common misconceptions. I mean, to really get into a paradigm, to really understand it, it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of study, it takes a lot of dedication and discipline. And yeah, oftentimes, you're working way harder than if you're just going to stick with one thing forever. And and honestly, if that's your thing, that's totally cool. It's not not everything is for everyone. And that's totally cool. And And honestly, I think about this a lot. I'm not actually sure whether it's uh, in a big picture way, preferable to have a magical practice that you're very dedicated to that you spend a lot of time on blah 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 like or if that's just something that's preferable to me because I'm like all horned up over the idea of discipline or something like that you know like that's what works for me but like I don't know if that's going to be something that will work for other people only they can say that so yeah right yeah it's it's something that you have to decide for yourself and if you know massive amounts of discipline and, you know, dedicating yourself to a particular practice is what works for you, then fucking do it. Like, as long as you're getting results, if complete flippancy and irreverence toward any practice is what works for you and you see results out of it and you're getting where you want life out of it, then fucking do that too. Like, the, the ultimate thing is, you know, you do you, just don't fuck with other people. And so as long as you're following that, like, it's, it's free for all. Yeah, fuck yeah. I love that. And I think that that's a, a good way to be going on with things. So maybe we should re- refocus back on Babylon Rising. So at the festival, what kind of stuff do you expect people might encounter if they come and visit us at our camp? Oh, God. So um, myself, I am like the minute I, I go into the place, I'm just festival minded. So like I'm... I, I kind of become one as, like, a nature trash goblin. So I am going to be just sloppy as fuck. I, I don't care about decorum whatsoever. So when you come in, like, I would highly expect you to just, like, not expect me to put on, like, high airs or whatever. I'm probably just going to be sitting under a tent with a sarong on, and that's it. 
and just kind of hanging out and talking to you about magic and things like that. There's not going to be a royal pavilion? No. I mean, unless you want to. <laughs> like, there's going to be a kind of pavilion. If you want to make it royal whatsoever, we'll, we'll splatter some purple paint on there. It'll be fantastic. Okay, so the theme for this year's festival is the Empress. And one thing that some folks from the server and I have been talking about is, you know, this idea of sovereignty. And so I think that's, def- and that's, I think, something that is a big thing in chaos magic too you know that you're you're ultimately the one that is making these choices about things so yeah when you think about sovereignty does anything come to mind the entire aspect of the festival itself and i've i've been for as i said a few years it's it's all about sovereignty you do what the fuck you want like as long as you're not encroaching on other people like this is this is a place of freedom this is a place for you to be yourself there have been many many people that i've met over the years who i consider lifelong friends who I love dearly because I, during that moment, I was able to be myself. I don't have to put on a front about me going to work in a fucking agency or some shit and having to wear a suit every day and, you know, putting on this mask of this, this is how I operate through daily society. No, I can come here and be myself as weird and fucked up and just kind of, you know, free as I am doing whatever I feel like doing, and it provides this freedom and sovereignty, this aspect of total autonomy. You get to be who you want, where you want, and you get to wander around the camp and meet with other, you know, steel from Crowley, I guess. Um, You get to meet with other stars. All right. Well, fuck yeah, dude. I love it. So... Anybody who's listening, definitely don't forget to check out BabylonRising.com and keep your eye on that as new presenters are added to the list. And when we you know, get our stuff together, hopefully we'll have our events listed as well. So yeah, if people want to come get weird in the woods, they should definitely do that. Do you have any last thoughts or words of advice for the folks listening, Yara? As, as far as words of advice, just keep practicing. Do what you're going to do what you're going to do. And I would love to see more people at Babylon Rising. This is this is going to be a dope thing and we're getting a chance to as chaos magicians make it what we want it to be. Yeah, very cool. Fuck yeah. All right, well thanks so much, dude. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, of course. Hey Luxa, what do you have there? It looks like a tattered old Discord server. Oh, this old thing? It's pretty beat up. But if I do this Sweet! Now that you peeled off the outer bits, it looks fresh as hell. We should call it the Green Machine. Awesome! I fucking hate it! That's okay. It should function alright, but it would probably work better if we had more people. Yeah! We have an awesome crew of chaos, occultists, sorcerers, witches, and weirdos, but there's always room for more. Absolutely! If you'd like to take part in any of our many chats, rituals, workshops, clubs, and more, hit me up and I will send you a link. You can reach me at luxacultpod at gmail.com or at luxacultpod on Instagram. And remember, resist. All right, fuck yeah. Thanks so much to Yara. Check out the Administrism podcast. And as he notes, you can find him on all the socials under the name Yara Marid. That's Y-A-R-A-M-A-R-U-D. There we go. There will be links in the show notes to this stuff. Another place that you can find him is on the Green Machine Discord server. Come check out the Recursive Consciousness experiments and all the other shit we've got going on there. One of my favorite things, which we didn't talk about in the conversation just now, is the surrealist poetry thing that we've got, uh, which I really enjoy.
Thanks also to Josh, aka Junior C, for helping me out with the voice work for that promo that you just heard. You can hear he and I discuss hyper sigils, future optimism, and the solar punk aesthetic in episode 47, Solar Punk Sustainability and Fiction as Future. You will find a link in the show notes to my Etsy shop where you can get your very own Luxacult, Hello Void t-shirts, book bags, and more designed by me and Laughing Dog, aka Mirth and Woe on Instagram. Definitely check out his shit and hit him up if you're looking for some design work. He's got some cool stuff. We're going to be hearing more from Lon Milo Duquette in a bit here, as well as more original music by him, which is apropos of today's theme. But now it's time to return to my chat with Lorelai Black for that very fun bibliomancy break, which I teased earlier. And there are many more treats to come in this interview. So without further ado, let us return. Here is the rest of my talk with Lorelai Black. So this is a break time activity I like to do on the show. If by chance you have a d4 and a d8 uh, polyhedral dice, I would ask you to roll them. If not, that's totally fine. I have some right here in front of me. I ha- don't have them near me. <laughs> we okay. just moved into a tiny house and, and they're like way far away from me right now. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Well, do you have a question for the Oracle? I do. I, I hope that this, I, I'm sure that this is the kind of question that you can ask whatever can. you like, whatever yeah. I like. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. What is a surprising thing that might happen at the festival this year? Oh, okay. I love that question. All right. Let's see what text we will be consulting here. Let's see what is that? All right. So this is a book called Dr. Tatiana's Sex Advice to All Creation. And it's actually a book about animal biology, but it's written from the perspective of somebody giving sex advice to these animals. (laughs) It's very funny. It's fantastic. I'll be right back. All right, I have located this text, and I do have to say, I feel like this is just perfect (laughs) for the theme. Thank you, Eris. You rarely disappoint. (laughs) Oh, Eris, could you tell us, please, something that might be interesting that will happen at Babylon Rising Festival this year? It will, in principle, be able to mate with everyone it meets. Perfect. (laughs) Oh, God. That should be the tagline for the event this year. (laughs) (laughs) There you have it, folks. (laughs) So, at this point in interviews, I like to ask guests if they have any ideas or thoughts about divination that they would like to share, if they have any, like, advice for listeners along those lines or anything like that. You know, I use divination quite a lot, and I love using divination. Um, I haven't done a lot of bibliomancy, although my grandfather was excellent at it. I mean, he usually used the Bible, but he could open that book up and find the perfect answer every time. So I've seen it be particularly amazing, although this this text that you just used, I think, needs to be a go-to. For- Sometimes <laughs> there's a hit. It's so funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
You know, the biggest advice that I would give to somebody, especially if they're sort of new with divination, is if they're using sort of a fixed method or something that has very sort of standardized outcomes that you then have to interpret, is to use that as a starting place. Don't feel like word for word it has to apply, but that it's a jumping off point for your intuition to be guiding you. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I was going to say, take it with some salt. A lot of salt. And that reminded me of the (laughs) Empress again. Yes, yes. And and maybe my next question, because I wanted to get into the idea of of Babylon herself and kind of talk about, you know, we're having this Babylon Rising Festival for people who aren't really like that educated or like interested in the like the the figure of Babylon from from Coley's mythology or, or however it's correctly referred to right who knows <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so for folks who aren't familiar with her could you talk a little bit about your own sort of relationship there or like the the thinking around the festival's relationship with her just a little bit of context there yeah well uh, I can do my best I'll say I'll do my best I feel like sure. Babylon's a complicated figure sure and that people that come to the event have their own sort of relationship with her, their own ideology about what she represents. And those things have very much sort of unfolded for me over the years that I've been involved. And all of that ends up contributing to how I see her. I feel like I've had the privilege to work in her service in terms of helping this festival to happen for several years now. And at the same time, there's part of me that feels like, but I don't really know her. <laughs> like, I, I, she's one of these goddesses that, how do I say this? So one of the one of the things that I understand about Aphrodite is that she is a goddess who is often depicted in the nude, and that that sort of makes her stand apart from a lot of the other Greek deities. That doesn't happen in ancient art very often. In sort of revivalist art, it happens a lot. Almost all of the goddesses are naked. (laughs) Um, We like a naked goddess. (laughs) We like a naked goddess. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But Aphrodite was kind of unusual in that. And she was an extension, really, of this Babylon energy, I think. You know, Babylon is sort of a modern contextualization of goddess of love and desire and sexuality and female empowerment and and just sort of boldly being yourself that has roots in Ishtar, who was the goddess of Babylon, (laughs) B-A-B-Y-L-O-N, you know, this Ishtar Anana figure who is also very frequently depicted naked, again, in contrast to other goddesses. Part of what I see in that symbolism, just that simple symbolism of the naked goddess, the bear goddess, that these deep mysteries are often sort of hidden in plain sight in things that we take for granted, like sex and sexuality, feminine presence, the female form, that it's ubiquitous and all around us. And so we think, oh, I know that. I already get that. You know, I know what that's about. For good or bad, we think we know what that's about. And there's so much sort of mystery that's still cloaked in that nudity, you know, in that bareness and in that rawness that there's still so much that's hidden because you're maybe kind of dazzled by by the show as it were <laughs> you know sure. yeah I mean and there's like kind of anatomical reasons why there might 
be a more of an air of mystery to to certain types of bodies i suppose yeah. i don't know <laughs> you know depending on if you're pl- where your plumbing is located I suppose. right yeah <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah yeah babylon ends up being for us i think sort of a central metaphor almost like she's you know and i don't want to say that she's just an archetype or that she's just a metaphor because i i very much work in the spirit model of magic and i see spirits as individual discrete distinct beings that are not emerging from my consciousness but that just exist and I can take the opportunity to get to know them I know that's not how everybody works but that is how I work so she's this individual being who has very much shaped the flavor of the festival and whose presence we've always wanted I think the original founders really wanted to sort of bring forth um, and to make more manifest in the world and she's also very symbolic of the kind really for a lot of us there, of the kind of person that we want to be, this unapologetic, this is who I am. I am being my best me by doing the things that I feel called to do in the way that I feel called to do them. Yeah, totally. You know, marrying these contrasts too. There's a lot of the, you know, the symbolism of Babylon and the Beast. And Babylon and the Beast very often end up being the like actual figures within the Feast of the Beast. You know, people portray them within the Feast of the Beast doing whatever the sacred drama is that that is happening in that year. And it changes every, every year depending on what the theme is and what the energy is. And so you have this sort of, you know, divine and profane union this sort of union of all of the opposites and all of everything that's on the spectrum along the continuum yeah I don't know that yeah, I'm saying that it very sense. well but... yeah, no, that totally makes sense and she is a really complicated and really nuanced figure it's it's somebody yes. who I have had a really interesting and I would say somewhat strained relationship with you know throughout my encounters um, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that for me like having not sort of been brought up with a lot of these ideas that are coming from like places like Christianity, this kind of like, you know, which, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff, you know, Babylon is a, a figure from the book of Revelation. So yes. it's kind of coming very much coming from that perspective. And if we look at Crowley's life, you know, he was somebody who very much was coming from a family that Christian spirituality was very important to. And so there's a lot of like, there's a lot of tie-ins there, I think, conceptual tie-ins that for me, yes. were very difficult to grasp onto. We've recently been doing some discussions about sex magic on the Green Machine Discord server, which Yara and I run together. And Babylon has been somebody who's been coming up a lot in these discussions. There's a lot of folks who work with her and who have had a lot of like great interactions and gotten a lot of mileage through you know having this relationship with her. And it's something that I really, I had, I found myself really having to do some like meditating on because I found I, there was like some tension in me, like that I was, I was feeling like, yeah, I just, there was something there that I needed to investigate. Thinking about the work that I had done, you know, with the, the love and war, war goddess in the past and like just really feeling kind of a strong connection with that energy. I wondered if I could find, for, for me, the way that I kind of interact with entities and stuff, it, there's very much like a feeling of emanations, like there's sort of like different versions of yes. them for me, like they can show up in different outfits, maybe is like a way yeah. to say it. <laughs> like, I love that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I thought maybe I could sort of find her that way and ask her if she could like help me understand what the deal is and why I'm feeling so upset about this, you know, just like, what, what the heck, you know? And so I I was able to sort of get some stuff. Uh, One of the things I got was a very thorough dressing down. Uh, Actually, I was 
put in my place and <laughs> told that I needed to maybe think about being, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't need to repeat uh, all of it, but yeah, there was, there was very much a, it was very much a humbling experience. Yes. And after it was over, I was told like, well, since you came to me in this configuration, you came to me as the whore, you're going to have to like pay me in return. And I said, mm. okay, well, that's fair. And the next day, Yara asked if, you know, if I would be interested in, in helping to, to pr promote Babylon Rising. <laughs> I said, of course, I would be thrilled. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, I very much feel that I am happy to be in Babylon service in this instance as well. So, yes. Yeah, excellent. Oh, that's... <laughs> I, I love how that works out. I, I really do. It's so funny. <laughs> you have something. It's coming. <laughs> Here it is. Yeah, yeah, I mean, fair enough, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I will say that's well, one of the things that I have experienced ever is that when you're working with her, working for her, working near her, <laughs> um, things do tend to manifest really well. Again, I think the sort of union of spirit and flesh, you know, that these things are not divorced. They're absolutely, you know, connected, but it, and it helps working with a goddess like Babylon to manifest ideas into your your actual physical reality. It's interesting, actually, th there are many faces of Babylon. I've seen her sort of equated to different colors, red being the most common, you know, the, the red goddess, Scarlet, uh, mm -hmm. the Scarlet woman, Babylon, and, and that having a lot to do with the passions, probably the best way to put it, because it's definitely this very bold sexuality, but there's also maybe some anger that's at the surface there sometimes. Uh, yeah, as she's well. typically she's got a sword. She's a fire yeah. goddess, right? Like she's yeah. there's some like Martian energy, like Mar yeah. martial energy there too, right? Like yeah, you this union of that, yeah. There definitely is, yeah. The woman girt with a sword, and but I've also seen her equated with like the colors black and the color blue, often with some like Kali or Nuit sort of influences that are happening there. One of the things that we did that that sort of happened, I didn't do it; somebody else did it. I participated, but um, <laughs> several years ago we had a Babylon temple, and I, I don't remember what it was called in that year. Maybe something like the Scarlet Rose Temple or something like that. But there were multiple people who were embodying Babylon, each in their own spaces. So we were using, you know, tents and 10 by 10 pop-up canopies and that kind of thing that had been draped and decorated. And each person sort of invoked Babylon in their own way, the way that she was showing up for them. And then people who were interested in interacting with Babylon sort of queued up and were taken back one by one to a Babylon. They didn't get to pick which Babylon they got, <laughs> which, which I think is very uh, also sort of appropriate for how she sometimes shows up for us. We don't always get to pick exactly how Babylon's going to show up for us. And because she is so complicated and nuanced, you know, you could get somebody who is very comforting and sort of has this almost maternal type. And I say almost maternal because there are probably some things that we, we don't necessarily ex associate culturally with the idea of mother but that is definitely there in a a lot of actual mothers sure. <laughs> um, and is yeah. certainly present in Babylon you could get somebody who was sort of interacting in a much more sexual way that that was sort of the pathway of interacting and of course everybody interacted within their own boundaries you know it was that was sort of made explicit of like the, the priest or priestess is not going to go beyond their boundaries and you're not expected to go beyond yours either mm. <laughs> 
you know, or you could get somebody who is kind of that tough love, like you came here asking questions and I'm going to tell you how it is. Like I got. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, got yeah. I got a thorough dressing down. So yes. Thorough dressing down. Yeah. Um, which is honestly, in some ways, I think one of the kindest things that, that can happen in our lives. Sure. I, um, I mean, because, I did need it. I did. So it was yeah, good. You get it. I've needed it too. <laughs> um, and sometimes you just don't hear it unless... Unless somebody is just like not padding it at all. <laughs> yeah. And it helped, it, honestly, it helped me sort of refocus on some bigger picture things that I think I might have gotten distracted away from. So it was good. Yeah. I get that. We're actually doing a, a temple service very much like that again this year. So um, we're looking for folks who are interested in, you know, embodying Babylon for other people. I, w- I will not be one of the priestesses this year or the pre- priestesses this year. I will be acting in the role of sacred madam. <laughs> And if folks are interested in doing something like that, is that something that they would want to fill out some kind of a form or something for? Yeah. So on the Babylon Rising website, under schedule, there's a list of festival descriptions, uh, like descriptions of festival events that's happening there. And the Scarlet Temple is what we're calling it this year. Um, If somebody wants to serve in that capacity, they just need to send me an email, which is there in that description. And it's, I I mean, I can say it here too. It's (laughs) Lorelei Black, L-A-U-R-E-L-E-I. B-L-A-C-K at gmail.com. They can just send me a message and we'll talk about what that's going to look like and what they need to do to prepare, what they need to bring with them, that kind of thing. Um, And if people are interested in doing other kinds of workshops, rituals, lectures, performances, experiences, what have you, we're still accepting proposals along those lines. um, And that's on the website to participate. Very cool. Well, me and some of my folks have been talking about trying to put something together. It's still in the early stages, but we're looking forward to that for sure. And yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We look forward to <laughs> to seeing that and, and getting to do that. It's always like that. That's one of the exciting things for me going into it because I tend to do a lot of sort of the back end coordination, communicating with presenters and that type of thing ahead of time. So I'm always like, this amazing thing's going to be happening this year. I can't wait. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm so excited. This really does sound like it's going to be an awesome time. And hopefully this it'll be like rising, a rising phoenix to this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, and it really is. It's going to have some first year vibes again, because, you know, and again, I wasn't there for the first year. But as I understand it, it was a smaller group. You know, we've grown over the years. But with the pandemic, people's pri- some people's priorities have shifted and they're not able to commit the time to come out to the event. Sad. And we're going to miss them hopefully things shift again in the future so that they can rejoin us. Mm. Some people still aren't ready to be in festival kinds of spaces with threat of COVID. And- sure. There's still some concerns. And yeah, I mean, of course, yeah. And uh, all kinds of stuff like that, of course. But Absolutely. there's also, I think, a new crop of folks who maybe got interested in occultism over the pandemic who might be super, you know, ready yes. for something like this. And for those folks, I'm very excited. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. And it's it's so it's going to be new for them and it's going to be new for us in a lot of ways, too. It's going to be I think it's going to be a more intimate gathering this year just in terms of size you know it's Mm. going to be a lot more like groups of friends hanging out and talking intensely about magic you know with somebody sort of facilitating that conversation which to me sounds amazing (laughs) 
that does sound really really cool for sure i'm into going out in the woods and getting weird with some friends for a couple yeah. days. That sounds great. <laughs> that's what we do again another good tagline for the festival get weird in the woods get weird in the woods um we've got like uh we've got some amazing presenters that i already know are joining us brandy williams is definitely coming to the event this year and her her work with women's spaces, women's magic, her book, The Woman's Magician, um, and Women's Voices from the Circle, like both of those books are just sort of mind-blowing and, and wonderful. And I know that she has some cool things planned, but I don't have them yet to put up on the website, so I'm not ready to talk about them, but they're going to be amazing. Very cool. Well, yes, people will have to keep an eye on the website as, you know, their new presentations and stuff are posted and all of that for sure. Yeah. And, and get presentations into us as soon as you can. If you, you know, for anybody listening, if you think that you want to present something, we usually have our schedule pretty well set by May 1st. So before that is a really, okay. really good <laughs> Before <time>. that. <laughs> before that. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Lorelai, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. This has been super fun. I'm really looking forward to this. Do you have any last thoughts or do you have any questions or anything that you would like to plug here besides Babylon Rising? <laughs> Just Babylon Rising for now. <laughs> it's it's very present in my mind, especially since we haven't been there. We haven't been in those spaces. And for those of us that are sort of diehard Babylonians and, <laughs> and are there every year without fail, there's a lot of like reunion and homecoming and sort of getting to see long lost friends and, and really family members, but also this amazing opportunity to like make new friends, to find new people that we really vibe with and that, um, you know, engage us and spark our creativity and our magic. And so I am personally really excited <laughs> about getting back out there this year. Hell yeah. Well, me too. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time and everything. And yeah, it's been super great talking with you. I hope that maybe we can have another conversation, maybe further in depth about Aphrodite and some of those historical things that you mentioned, which sounds super interesting. That would be lovely. <laughs> I would really enjoy doing that. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, I'm always down to talk about it. Okay, well, yeah, hell yeah, into that for sure. All right, well, Lorelai, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much to Lorelai Black. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links to her stuff like the Blade and Broom Etsy shop where you'll find all kinds of courses and cool Book of Shadows pages and stuff like that. Keep an eye on BabylonRising.com for updates about the festival. Tickets are discounted until the end of March, so don't wait. Register now. Like, right now. Whatever you're doing, stop and go register at BabylonRising.com and sign up to learn more about getting involved as a presenter, volunteer, or other participation opportunities. We're going to be hearing more from Lon Milo Duquette in just a moment, but I'd like to take this opportunity to express my gratitude to everybody who's been listening and supporting the show and my other work. I'm really lucky to be doing this stuff, to be talking to these very cool people like my guest today. It wouldn't be possible with all, all of you, so I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'll be back to share a couple final thoughts, but for now, we've got Babylon, we've got Shakti, we've got Nuit. Hang on tight, because we're about to get a crash course in Thelemic theology, courtesy of the man himself, Mr. Lon Milo Duquette. Let's hop in.
So you've written a lot and you've sung a lot about Babylon over the years, and I was hoping if you wouldn't mind, could you share with us a little bit about how the relationship between the two of you has evolved um, in that time? If it has, perhaps, I don't know. <laughs> I, I suppose that a question assumes something, so yes. Well, the, you know, for for some people, especially uh, those that have been uh, influenced uh, earlier in their spiritual journey, been influenced by the Christian mythos that swirled around the, the events of the last book of the New Testament, uh, the book of the Revelation of John, where Babylon, spelled with a Y, and the beast seem to show up. The story seems to go that they kind of, these characters show up toward the end of the world or the end of the age, more uh, accurately, even, even according to the text, that the end of the aeon or the age of the of the savior that john is is talking about is coming to an end and if you can imagine that uh or at least pretend for the time being that uh, whoever was writing it was indeed working off of an altered level of consciousness where he was indeed getting impressions of the uh environment and the events surrounding the end of the newly begun aeon, his savior's own aeon, was coming to an end. And uh, so already he's prejudiced <laughs> that, <laughs> that his new improved uh, spiritual reality, uh, the formula of it, the thing that made it better than the one before it, uh, was coming to an end, and that would kind of bum him out. <laughs> okay, somewhere I wrote that uh, uh, the gods of one age become the devils of the age to follow. Yes, I love that. Yeah, very accurate. I think. Yeah, and and that's sort of what's what's going on. Although the, the vision in itself, underneath his misinterpretation of it, or his, his possible misinterpretation of it, was still was still accurate. It's just that the things that he thought were bad weren't, <laughs> you know, and the things that he, he, he thought were good had, had grown old and decayed and putrefied. So the, uh, the, the idea of Babylon and the Beast seemingly negative, uh, evil characters seen from 2,000 years ago, from a, a consciousness of 2,000 years ago, were actually wonderful and spiritually as wholesome as anything of the Hindus or anything of the Native Americans or anything of the, of, uh, 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 the, the Chinese, okay? But still, we, we're stuck with this old view of, uh, of things. And Crowley was raised in a very um, classic, what we would think of today as an evangelical environment. Mm -hmm. I mean, a fire and brimstone environment. Actually, the fire and brimstone environment of evan modern evangelicalism was invented just less than 200 years ago in England mm -hmm. by those same people, okay? okay? Fascinating. Crowley's own relatives, uh, the Darbyites, they were like insane Calvinists that just, they're the ones, <laughs> they're the damnation folks. But anyway, 
So we're stuck with these negative labels to positive concepts. And uh, and Crowley was uh, as traumatized as anybody by these concepts. So, you know, he could have just as easily uh, chosen nice existing Hindu or other other traditions uh, to uh, have this conversation about what's what's happening at, a, at the change of the age. But he didn't. He said, no, no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna accept this role. You know, the beast is a good guy. The uh, Babylon and the beast are just the great father and mother of the of the of the universe, and the the union of the this great father and mother creates this ecstasy that is the bliss vibration that is the great ohm that's holding this all together. Anyway, you know, so it's not a, it, it's not Babylon is not a goddess in the same way that that you could uh, uh, formulate in your mind the form of Artemis or Hera or Hecate. You can't can't wrap your meat brain around uh, the formula of Babylon. She's beyond form. And you almost have to reach into the vocabulary of uh, fundamental Kabbalah uh, to, to even have a conversation about what a wonderful, abstract, universal concept Babylon and the Beast are. But if you can imagine the biggest expansion of the universe that you could possibly imagine, an expansion so ultimate, so absolute, that everything that you can possibly think of is inside that expanded environment. The biggest big that you could possibly think. And, and uh, you can sort of wrap your mind around the, the, the concept that if you look up at the night sky and, and look into uh, the universe, the entire body of stars is her body. But it's infinite. There is no end of it. The circumference of that is nowhere found. And just like that commercial that I saw, <laughs> that I saw on PBS for for the television show Nova, it says that the universe has no edge and has no center. And uh, that's true. But if it did have a center, the center would be everywhere too. And that's the beast. That is her lover. That is her partner. And if the circumference is everywhere and the center is everywhere, the center and the circumference are touching everywhere, rubbing sensuously. (laughs) (laughs) Everywhere. Uh, everywhere touching, rubbing, vibrating, and that vibrating is uh, uh, creates a field of operation for a universe to manifest in. But even going up from that that constant vibration is a is a singular existence, is a singular being. So if she's number three and he's number two, when three and two get together. They create number one, and and if you're a Buddhist, you could say, oh well, that's Nirvana and things like that. You call it all all sorts of things like that. 
But that's that's Babylon. Uh, in Thelemic theology, if you will, the, that's also the goddess Nuit of uh, off the stele of revealing, the, the star goddess. Uh, and uh, the beast would be Hadit. Okay. But Hadit, or the beast, is uh, the all-father. And uh, uh, Nuit, or Babylon, is the all-mother. And when they get together, their ecstasy cancels out any thought of their separateness and their singularity becomes number one. And that's, <laughs> that's as fast as I can, I can, uh, well, that's no, thank you so much for breaking that down for, for me and for my listeners. I think that's a really, really helpful context to understand, you know, what are we talking about when we say Babylon and yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Well, you're welcome. I know it's it's kind of hard, and I I don't really tell the story very well. Oh, I thought that was very concise, personally. Um, I know we're getting short on time here. So, Juan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Is there anything that you would like to share with the listeners, anything that you would like to plug, or any last thoughts that you would like to share before I let you get on with your afternoon? Oh, no, just to... Um... Whatever, whatever you're you're into, take it take it uh, serious enough to uh, to dig into things, but don't don't take yourself too too seriously. I know that's a cliche sounding thing, but I think it's good advice. I think it's really solid good advice. Okay, okay, whatever it is, be good to yourself, and you're you're going to have to be your own Babylon. You're going to have to be your own beast. You're going to have to be your own singularity. And it just all starts off by start by being comfortable with yourself. Thank you so much, Lon. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Thanks so much to Lon Milo-Duquette. You can find his work where occult books are sold, where online music is heard, and many other places. I'll put some links in the show notes. I just want to say that I really appreciate that Lon was not only kind enough to come and hang out with me in the virtual recording studio, but was also generous enough with his time to do so for a bit longer than we had originally planned, and it was really cool of him. I absolutely loved hearing those stories, and it makes me think of this. There's this show that I really enjoyed called Halt and Catch Fire. And in it, there's this conversation about what technology is. Magic being a technology, or the art and science of causing change in accordance with will, perhaps? I think this applies here as well. Technology, or magic, or whatever, is not the thing. But it's the thing that gets you to the thing. The thing is what Lon Milo Duquette was talking about here today. These experiences of awe and of the numinous that we can find in our practices. It truly is worth the work. I have a few final thoughts, but let me first remind you to check out all of the great shows here on the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. We've got Administrism, Grognostics, Primordia, XV Planus, Ad Hoc History, Smuts Up, and Unearthing Paranormalcy. Get your submissions in for Fuck Around and Find Out, too. The Green Mushroom Project and We the Hollow Digital Mixtape, due by May 23rd. Check out the show notes for guidelines. 
And don't forget to check out the Prague Magic YouTube channel on March 20th for Haunt Quinox, in which me and Keats Ross and many others will be doing some streaming and sharing some work. If you like the show and you're into what I'm doing, you can support it on Patreon. If you do so, you can take a bibliomancy break with me, and there are no tiers or levels, so give as you will. You can also support the show for a one-time donation on buymeacoffee.com. Spreading the word about the show is another great way to support it. You can write a positive review or give it some stars where that's a thing. Word of mouth is also huge, so tell your lovers, friends, enemies, frenemies, and extended families about it or post about it on social media. Okay, so it looks like I've written several pages of thoughts here about my conceptualization of Babylon and some of the friction I was having with all of that recently. And honestly, it's quite late as I'm recording this, and I want to get this out in time for people to be able to still get a chance to get the discounted, you know, tickets for the, the festival. So rather than get into all of this um, and add a very lengthy segment to this already kind of long podcast, I'm going to instead give you a summary. So I start out with what is a somewhat, I find, somewhat unwelcome dichotomy of this whore and virgin, and I kind of sort that out. I'm not from a Christian background, so these symbol sets are harder for me to connect with, and, you know, Lon was cool about talking about that earlier. So, anyway, though, Babylon is the whore, and this is about transactionality as well as accepting everybody. So, thinking about the Shakti tie-in made me think of the idea of power, you know, like big P power, like Shakti is sometimes equated with. It's super complicated and I won't pretend to understand it all, but there seems to be an implication about how that kind of works here in this in this story. There's like an agreement of sorts. So I wonder, what is the shape of this mystery of transactionality? I go on to write a bunch of stuff about labels and about how authority flavors these labels for us, which is something that Lon Milo Duquette brought up in reference to Crowley. It's also something that I've been thinking about a lot since a very cool discussion about Umberto Eco's Name of the Rose. Shout out to Samuel and Adam for a rad book club chat the other night, and also shout out to Foucault, I guess. Um, anyway, after going into some stuff about sexuality labels and authority and agency, I circle back around to the matter at hand, and it's this. As Lon Molitikat pointed out, Crowley took something, these labels or ideas attached to them that were, you know, affecting him negatively, Babylon and the beast and all of that, and he consciously made an effort to change them into a source of power for himself and for the people who are into this stuff. So by deciding to shift his paradigm, his context for looking at the world, he changed everything for himself. And you can do this too. As Lon said, be your own Babylon, be your own beast, be your own singularity, be your own void. Remember, you contain multitudes and everything that you need. And remember to resist. Resist by maintaining sovereignty of the self. Resist by maintaining love of the self. Resist by maintaining fierce loyalty to love and pleasure. Resist with acts of radical kindness. Focus on the path to better times. Fuck yeah. Much love and much love to everybody participating in the Green Mushroom Project, regardless of what that looks like for you and your practice. Thank you so much to Lorelai Black, Lon Milo Duquette, Frater Yaramrid, everybody on the Green Machine Discord server, and most of all, thanks to you for listening. Alright, let's go out with another Lon Milo Duquette song. This is I'm Babylon. This is Lux Estrada, reminding you to stay strong and stay fucking curious.
am a man like any man with feet of clay and cheeks of tan but when I wrap my turban on the gods are near I'm Babylon I eat too much I drink too much A greedy selfie Such and such But when I Wrap my turban on My mind is clear I'm Babylon A lazy coward Vain and violent on when I should stay silent but when I wrap my turban on all bets are off I'm Babylon I have no fear I'm Babylon Strange Seeds. This is the Primordia Podcast, your source for strange. I'm your host, Britt. Join me semi-weekly as we pull off our flesh suits and dive into the primordial waters of the mystical and magical, the downright freaky, the strange and bizarre, unsettling synchronicities, and the truly terrifying. We'll leave each episode with a list of reading recommendations if you feel so inclined to research further the topics we discuss, which I encourage you to do. Connect with a growing community of eclectic minds who strive to leave a more positive, compassionate imprint on this weird world we live in. So dive on in with us, and don't be scared. The water's fine. What scares you? Ghosts. Aliens. Monsters. The occult. Conspiracies. Some of you like to be scared, and unearthing paranormalcy is for you. Some of you try everything you can to avoid it. Unearthing paranormalcy is for you. We take the topics that scare some, and we dig in to find the source, then present the history to make the paranormal 
a little more normal. We also throw in a bit of comedy to shed a light on some of the darkness in the world. So whether you're scared of bumps in the night, what's inside your own mind, or strange lights in the sky, we cover it all. We dig in and present all that we find and try to come up with some logical and not so logical reasons for the high strangeness happenings. Sometimes we are scared of the things we don't understand. And the more we understand, the less we fear. So find us, Unearthing Paranormalcy, on your favorite podcast app. And join us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord at UMP Normalcy. And until next time, keep digging.